This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Your best insight into Utah Jazz basketball and the NBA in Utah. For the next two hours, it's nothing but NBA conversation from the local front to around the association. Now let's get things rolling with Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome into the Salt City Hoops show on ESPN 700, as Fancy Voice Guy just said. You're listening to Andy Larson here alongside Ben Dowsett, joining us back on the show. Thanks again for moving things around, Ben, so you can be with us for forever. How could I not? What's um, that guy's real name? I've always wanted to know that. Deep voice guy? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. He's been the guy for like 20 years. With their, their, I remember back when I used to listen to talk radio in high school, like he would be the guy. Reddit had a thing this week where they had the um, EA Sports, it's in the game guy, just doing it. And of course, like all radio personalities, he looks nothing like yeah, he sounds. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, we've got a good show for you guys today. That that's not just all about voices. Mine is not great, by the way. Not a great radio voice, but we're moving on. Um, <laughs> we're talking about the Jazz's point guard search. I have some kind of news that I, I reported earlier today that we're we're going to be talking about regarding the Jazz uh, point guard search. We'll talk about their options there, uh, as well as their options in house among Raul Neto, Bryce Cotton, Trey Burke. Uh, we'll talk about the Jazz playing small or big. We'll talk with Dan Clayton, our, our fellow Salt City Hoops writer, about this topic. He had an interesting article kind of looking at, you know, given that this report uh, came out yesterday about the Jazz chasing Jason Terry, what does that mean for uh, the, the roster moving forward? Then we're going to do a breakdown of in the second hour of all the kind of a retrospective of all the different Jazz players last year, kind of looking forward to how they'll play it next year. Kind of doing a PTI style where we'll do two to three minutes each per player, and I'm Kornheiser because my family's Canadian, right? Like that's yeah, sure. It just has to fine. has to be that way. I can be Wilbon. We right. we share characteristics. I don't know what they are, but regardless, <laughs> um, yeah. So and, and then also we're going to be talking about the Jazz's defense and whether or not it's sustainable moving forward for next season. We also are going to try something with regards to you guys and and asking for calls. We've been kind of asking throughout the day for you guys to call us on the phone lines, and time will tell whether or not that is a good strategy or not. Yeah, you know, do it, is, guys. Call us. This Let's... is the first time we've really, like, hardcore asked for calls. Like, we mention it every week, but this is the first time we've been like, hey, specifically, like, call, give us a call. Like, we want, to, we want to hear what you have to talk about. And we're not like those one radio hosts where it's like you call them and then you ask your question and then they, you cut, they cut you off and then that's it. Like we'll let you like respond back to our answer <laughs> once or twice. Like it's a legitimate conversation. Like so yeah. yeah, give us a call. What's the number? It's 877-353-0700. Will you say that again just in case I forgot? Sure. It's 877-353-0700. Well, there you go. And, of course, you can tweet us like you normally would at, at Andy B. Larson at Ben underscore Nelson. Sorry, I took your, yep, I took nope, your cue there. That's- that's fine. You got it right, so that's what matters. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm curious. It, it could be that those of the the people who listen to the show as a podcast later on on SaltCityHoops.com mm-hmm. or ESPN700Sports.com or iTunes or Stitcher, just throwing in those plugs um, for where you can <laughs> listen to the show later on. It may be that we're embarrassed and no one calls, and that that will be sad. But um, where totally you know, possible. experiments are worthwhile, especially in the middle of August when we have 36 days until training camp begins with the Utah Jazz and the NBA season. You're keeping a calendar on your wall of that, aren't you? Absolutely. Yeah. Pulling, pulling the little pieces of paper off every day. Let's talk about this point guard search, though. Uh, a couple of pieces of news. First of all, I, I reported earlier this morning on Twitter, 
got an article coming out on KSL.com uh, probably tomorrow, kind of breaking this down. But according to Jazz sources, no contact has been made with uh, any of the free agents or trade partner possibilities out there. Basically, they're still mostly concerned about Dante Exum's uh, injury recovery. He's going to be having surgery soon. Of course, he'll be out for the whole season after that surgery. But, uh, you know, right now, both inwardly and outwardly, it seems that the focus is on Dante Exum and his recovery rather than finding a new player. As we just said, 36 days until training camp, you've got plenty of time to find someone, you know, even after that surgery happens. Probably in the yeah. next 10 days, it sounds like it'll be. Yeah. I still did find that interesting, though, when I saw that from you, you know, because as we saw yesterday, we saw the real GM report from Shams Charania that the Jazz had been in contact. And now, now those reports are vague. You don't know whether they had been reaching out to him or maybe his people had been reaching out to the Jazz. The first thing that struck me as soon as I saw your information today was that it seemed like, because they'll do this, it seemed to me like maybe an agent is somebody reaching out to Shams. Yeah, um, I, it could be either way. I mean, someone is lying or, or, I mean, I think there's a thin line of truth that both reports could be true and that maybe the, maybe the Jazz um, registered interest with his agent but not, Terry, or maybe he, they looked into it but never made a request, you know, or maybe nothing happened at all, and Jason Terry's agent was just looking at which teams needed a point guard and kind of chose to raise the bidding that way, although this report came out after Jason Terry was already signed by Houston. That's the interesting part, although I don't think there's no value to making of, even if it's completely false, to spreading that kind of a rumor after for a guy who's 38 like Terry to because, you know, he's it's a one-year minimum that he signed this year. He's going to potentially need to do so again next year. And if it's like, well, three teams had interest in him last year at the deadline or at the during the offseason, maybe that boosts his stock just a little. I yeah, don't know. It's hard, it's hard to read. I, I, you know, I also think that it's possible that, you know, my sources were trying to get a story out there that are, you know, that, I don't know, is right? is not really what happened. Yeah, and no is, question. just kind of wants to protect Dante Exum as much as possible, which makes sense because, you know, it's it's a delicate time for him. Yeah. Well, um, the, what but, I found to potentially be the more interesting part of your reports from earlier today were that Raul Neto might end up being the starter. Yeah, and I I mean, that's that's a part, too, that I think um, it's kind of the next step in that. So, you know, if the Jazz aren't uh, looking at, and it's not fair to say that they aren't looking at replacements. Of course, they're talking about it internally. Um, but if they choose not to go out and acquire someone, and we'll talk, kind of talk about the pros and cons of doing that uh, during the course of the show, if they choose not to, you have to choose between who's your, who's your starting point guard going to be, Raul Neto, Bryce Cotton, or Trey Burke? And quite frankly, they like Trey Burke where he is right now in terms of being that guy off the bench who's a high-usage player and, and isn't taking shots away, importantly, from Gordon Hayward, Alec Burks, Rodney Hood, uh, Derek Favors, and Rudy Gobert. Kind of your, uh, Admittedly, probably one of Burks and Hood has to be right. on in your backup you know, and, and on your bench, but regardless, you know, well, you bring one of those guys off. off. You bring one of those guys off as your sixth man, and maybe if, if it ends up being Burks, eventually you bring Burks off as your sixth man. You put the two guys that the you know Burke ends up playing with more like secondary units. Again, you're right; he's going to end up having to play with one or both of those guys a decent amount. But and I I I'm going to be honest. I was I was I've registered my opinions on Neto, and I I do want to preface this by saying that. that the Jazz have, as I say with lots of things, the Jazz have exponentially more information 
pertaining to Raul Neto than right. I do. But in particular, that they've seen him up close in the last. Like, he's still here. Like he's the he's been here. Yeah, been working with both him. him and Trey Burke are were in town as of yesterday, um, right. working out and jazz. Right. And they've seen more of his tape. They've had guys go see him in his when he actually played in Europe. They've had much, much more resources than I, many more that is than I've ever been able to put in. By the way, let's continue this conversation. But we do have a caller. Oh, cool. We've got James on the line. James, how are you? Good. How are you guys? Good. Hey, thanks for calling in. What do, What do you want to talk about? I just wanted to put in a request real quick. Um, I'm a truck driver and I'm in Texas, so I, I wanted to hear the answer off the air because I can't listen to the radio with you guys. Okay. Okay. okay um, my question was um. Trey Lyles, I guess I've seen a or talked to heard a radio thing on Sirius XM talking about the players voted him. Uh, it might be a, the rookie of the year. You know, not he didn't get too many votes, but do you think he could be a, a small forward actually and a power power forward? So first of all, yeah, that that report, um, the NBA rookie. Um, what's the name of it? The rookie poll came out this year okay. where they asked the rookies kind of who's the most likely rookie amongst your class to be named rookie of the year. Who's going to have the best career. Who's kind of been the most undervalued. Who's the best shooter, et cetera, et cetera. And Trey Lyles was among the players receiving votes. Okay. So that he wasn't the majority. He wasn't in the top five. It sounds like probably one or two rookies gave him a vote to be rookie of the year next season. Perhaps which, Carl Anthony Towns and didn't yeah, exactly. Maybe one of his Kentucky teammates, but nevertheless, uh, that's still that's still interesting, right? That somebody believes in Trey Lyles that much. Um, I personally don't know if he would get ends up getting the playing time. I, I think he might. I mean, you look at this Jazz big rotation right now, and beyond Derek Favors and Rudy Gobert, I, I think it's pretty slim. You know, if, if Booker, right? I mean, that's the thing. It's Trevor Booker's your third, and then you know your fourth player is going to be getting some playing time, and maybe that's Tibor Place, maybe that's Trey Lyles. One of those first three guys you mentioned is also going to be hurt at some point in this season. I mean, that's just how yeah, it works. Even, you know, Derek Favors has been relatively healthy the last, you know, heck, his career. But he still is playing, you know, 72 to 75 games a season, not all 82. Right. That's going to be giving Trey Lyles a significant amount of playing time off the bench. Yeah, there, but there are, guys at the, those... there are guys at the top of this class who are going to be legitimate, like yeah, 30 no, to I, 35 I, minute a night. To guys. be clear, he's not going to be rookie of the year. Yeah. I, I think that you're right. Was a was a Kentucky tie thing rather than someone legitimately right. thinking that. But then the other part of the but, question. Yeah, the other part of the question is is which position he'll play. And I just think he's so much more useful as a power forward yeah. and maybe even a center in small ball lineups. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think there's – I wrote this when I wrote, did a little breakdown of him after he was drafted, James, that uh, I, I don't – I would be very, very surprised if Lyles played any small forward in the NBA. Like like maybe a minute or two somewhere, but I even – I don't even know if you do that. This is a smaller league. The league is trending that way. Quinn Snyder knows it. He's not opposed to that type of a thing at all. They like playing with their two bigs. But they're not going to go so far as to put a guy, you know, a six ten guy at small forward. Uh, that's not going to happen. And yeah. you're right; he's just he serves much more of a purpose as a as a if he checks his boxes and develops right, he serves much more of a purpose as a as a power forward. Remember, last year's Kentucky team would have been the tallest team in the NBA just based on their starting lineup, which you know is is incredible for a college team. That, that is what happens said, when you start a 6'10 guy at small forward. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But that being said, that doesn't mean that he's, he's going to fit in that position at the, at the NBA level. I think yeah. he's definitely a four. He, I think he'll play more center minutes than he will small forward minutes. Thank you for the question, James. We appreciate it. Yeah. I don't know if he's still on. No, line, I think but he no. Was Okay, cool. Um, going back to the point guard topic of Raul Neto, you know, like you said, obviously the Jazz front office has seen more of them than more of him than we have. Mm-hmm. But I mean, what what do you see? I, to me, I'll start. I, I like his passing vision and uh, his potential. 
I guess, pick and roll skills, especially working with Derek Favors and Rudy Gobert. You know, today I watched the Team USA versus Team Brazil last summer, um, where Raul Neto got some significant playing time playing against guys like Derek Rose alongside, you know, Anderson Verjao and those sort of players. And you can see where Rudy Gobert and Derek Favors would play kind of next to Raul Neto as a pick-and-roll option. You you see him making these pocket passes to Anderson Verjao, and it's very easy to imagine Derek Favors and Rudy Gobert catching even harder and, and uh, giving him even more options there on the offensive end. Right. Now, and those who listen to me and read me frequently, well, this will be a broken record to you as I say the following, but uh, <laughs> my opinion continues to be, and again, I don't know the degree to which this is going to be the case with Raul Neto, having only seen a very limited amount of his play and not none against NBA players, or uh, consistently against NBA players. It's that's I totally agree. From what I've seen, he has great feel. He's he's got uh, really good instincts. He can find angles with his passes. He understands where his teammates are going to be. All that stuff that's that's really good. Like that's great. I just in the NBA, the best league in the world with the most trained players. They the the most specific, hyper specific game plans by far of any league in the world. Mm-hmm. All that put together and the skill level. If you can't put that ball in the bucket yourself, they're going to stop paying attention to you. To the point where your Derek Favors's and your Rudy Gobert's and wow, that's terrible. <laughs> uh, th- those guys are being cut off. But we saw it sometimes last year with Dante Exum or with Trey Burke because they weren't able to put the ball in the ba- in the basket themselves enough. Even in those two man actions, there are ways to combat that. If a team quickly realizes, hey, this guy is the one that can't hurt us, we're going to shade away from that. Just one weak link. I don't think you can overstate how big of a deal that is in the NBA today, and that's yeah. where my concern is with you. Uh, and, you know, I, I agree in, in kind of a playoff series sort of environment, that's not going to work. You know, that's just not – you're right that they'll just leave Neto or Burke or Exum or whoever is, that is um, if, if they're not a threat. I think we saw last year, though, that, again, the Jazz had the worst point guard production of any team in the league between Trey Burke and Dante Exum, that it, it didn't kill the offense. You know, the the Jazz's offense last year was a near-league average sort of unit. And, you know, some teams use creative solutions where they would have essentially ignored Dante Axum and Trey Burke. And a lot of teams, quite frankly, wouldn't. You know, they were more worried on their own stuff going into the playoffs rather than worrying about matchup issues on the other end. And I, I think we may see... Kind of a, a similar story if Neto does play. Now, I, I maybe that's not the case if you're hoping for a playoff contending Jazz. Which in I am. Which, you know, you're fighting for the eight seed and then teams start to scout you near the end of the season. Yeah. But you also have time before the end of the season to acquire a point guard, maybe not during the offseason. That's true. And I, I do think, I, I don't think it's a playoff only thing. You're absolutely right. That sort of stuff gets heightened during, like heavily heightened during the playoffs. Mm-hmm. But that, I, to me, that's still a thing. Like I've, yeah, you see teams adjust even in game during oh, the totally. regular season when they start to realize. So it's a concern. Now, the, the defense, I think, is an area that he has a lot of potential in and, per, and probably more than either Trey Burke or Bryce Cotton. This is another area where our information is very incomplete at this point. But based on what I've seen from him, he's got some length. He's got he's got good lateral speed. Picks up screens quickly enough. Understands what's going on on both ends. He really has a good feel for the basketball game. Understands what's happening. I was asked earlier today um, how I would rank the Jazz's three remaining point guards on a defensive level, and I asked you this question. I asked our, our South City Hoops writer Dakota Schmidt this question, and heck, I'll ask Dan Clayton about it after the break. Right? Uh, who's the best defensive point guard on the Jazz? Uh, I'm. Gonna say that if the if the skills we've seen in Europe translate 
you know, anywhere from 80 to 90% as well as we expect them to, then I think the answer would be Neto. But I don't, there's a lot of cases where that has not happened in the past. If it does, I think it's pretty fair to say Neto. My biggest thing actually was looking at the next two. I think there's an assumption that even though Trey Burke has been pretty bad defensively, that with his improvements he made near the end of last year, which he definitely did, that he would be better than Bryce Cotton as a defender. I'm not necessarily saying that's not true. I'm just saying there's not really any evidence that proves that at the NBA level. I watched a lot of Cotton, specifically today, actually, prepping up for the show. Mm-hmm. He's not that bad. No, he's he's not short, that and he's going to be limited by his size, no question. But I, first of all, I went and watched some D-League stuff of his. I watched a lot of D-League tape. Teams didn't have that much success posting him up in the D-League. He was no. really good at fronting the post. He was really good at finding his positioning and, and a good team scheme because he played with the Austin Toros, so they have really good team schemes in there. They he was It was really easy for them to figure out the right kind of schemes there, and I think the Jazz will have a lot of that same stuff, and I think it'll be like, hey, you really want to post this 6'2 backup point guard <laughs> on Bryce Cotton and, by the way, Rudy Gobert standing behind him for help? Like, but posting is. I mean, you you keep talking about posting, and posting's not my concern because no, no. nobody in like not very many teams post their point guards in in the today's NBA. Heck, not very many teams post players anymore in, That's in true. today's NBA. That's true. And I'm I watch the other about stuff. Shot basically contestion, right? And yeah. trying to get those shots contested, and I think that's where the length hurts him. It does, but we also know he has a huge vertical. Set the yeah, uh, okay. He can definitely jump high, and he's and what I from what I saw, uh, which again was a limited sample, especially on the NBA level, he was very quick with recognizing his screens. He's super fast. He's one of the quickest accelerating players that we've seen. And I, I thought he did a really good job of getting around most screens and getting catching up to He was really quick recovering to guys off the pick and roll and good about getting hands in their faces. And he, I think he has enough, li- you know, sure, like John Wall is going to hurt him. But I'm, like, I'm still asking you to do player rankings here, though. One, two, three, Neto, Cotton. Is it Neto, Burke, Cotton? Is it Neto, Cotton, Burke? I, I, I really can't put Cotton and Burke at like a dead tie because I really think there's a chance they're like, based on what we currently know. I said this to you earlier over at the uh, where, where you were before this. If, if you want clean evidence that we already have, there is a lot more evidence that Trey Burke is an awful NBA defender than there is that Bryce Cotton okay. is an awful NBA defender. So just say, just say it. By just that metric, it. I guess Cotton I'd go Burke. Neto Cotton Burke. But I again, I'm, because there's Believe not enough. Yourself. But because there's not enough evidence of Cotton, I don't feel like I don't feel like a thousand percent confident saying that. For what it's worth, I said Neto Burke Cotton, right. um, and so did Dakota. And you're right that I think it, it's it's closer between Cotton and Burke than it is between Neto. Although I think both of them, or I think all three are. Below average, but not awful. Right. Uh, and, and I think Trey Burks' defense has actually become a little bit underrated at this point. No, I agree. He made some real improvements last year, and I I, I still think he's going to be the starter personally, although I don't know if we're getting into that. I, I, I still no, think— No, let's talk about it. I, I don't think he will be. I I, I got to be honest, because you I think— You think day one, Neto starts? I think day one, Neto starts. That's really interesting. I—, I And and listen, you, you, you've you got your ear to the ground, and I, I, I don't distrust that. I just— Look, Man. Burke's a bigger name and has has started oh, one nothing and a to half do with seasons, the and but and you know you're putting a lot of faith in Raul Neto. Don't get me wrong, yeah. and you probably will end up playing Trey Burke more minutes. I mean, there were lots of games last season where Trey Burke played more minutes than Dante Exum. Okay. But if you look at how the fit of these rosters work, the starting lineup needs a decently good passing and relatively good defending point guard, and you're getting more of that with Raul Neto than you are with Trey Burke. Yeah, I. It's I mean, the same I, reason they wanted Garrett Temple. You know, a, Temple's not a great passer, but he's a defender. You know, you're you're getting a guy who's not 
messing it up, to be quite frank, on on offense, like like Trey Burke does. Yeah, no, and I I don't I guess I wouldn't like be you know like hugely shocked. None of these guys are like world beaters or anything like that. I I just one thing that I that I you know we talk constantly about how tra- how bad Trey Burke's shooting numbers was. Raul Neto's were worse last year in a worse league. I would say that his outside shooting numbers were worse, but I'd say that Neto can finish around the rim better than than Burke can. Right. I have very little. I've seen very little as far as the numbers or the actual tape on that goes. So I'm not 100 percent sure there. But I like first well, off, I think I think the primary job of somebody that's going to be in that role is going to be a lot of outside shooting. I, I mean, yes and no. Obviously, you're going to have a lot of outside shots, but you know, l- part of Burke's problem is that he also can't finish around the rim. He's not just a bad outside shooter; he's a bad finisher at the rim. Right. And more a better uh, finisher around the rim. You know, he shot 42 percent from the field overall and only 20 percent from three. Whereas with Burke, he shot 36.8 percent overall and 31 percent from three. You know, right. so you, you know, a lot better with from within the arc, a lot better at the rim than than Burke was. Now, you know, some of that might be uh, the Spanish defending, but it, some of it might not be. And more importantly, as we discussed a couple of weeks ago, the selection might be just as big there. The fact that he's that ne- maybe Neto is is just is just as bad of a shooter as as Trey Burke is, but. He just doesn't feel the need to shoot the ball as frequently, and that that makes them a little bit more successful with that starting unit by itself because he's not taking the shots away from from you know Burke's Hayward Hood. I think we have a caller. Yeah, we do. We've got a caller. It sounds like Dave is on the line. Dave, are you there? Hey, so I have a quick question. Um, I was wondering if you guys think that there's any way the Jazz can win the division this year, and if so, how is the best way for them to sneak that in? Yeah, I mean Thanks. if. Yeah, uh, thank you. Uh, if Oklahoma City corrupts, you know, self collapses again, and and two of their best three players are injured, and that happens again, I think the Jazz have a chance. And otherwise, they don't. I mean, quite frankly, the any two of Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, Serge Ibaka, uh, is, uh, is any get it any done. two any two containing Durant. Okay, any two containing Durant. I feel like if Durant missed sixty games, but the other two played all eighty two, there are scenarios where I could see the Jazz being okay, better than them over the full year. If, but yeah. Assuming full health from or both even sides, some health. If Kevin Durant plays fifty games, yeah, it, it gets real tough if he's in there for most of the time because they're going to have a better scheme this year offensively. They're one of the better defensive teams in the year. Like Donovan's not even going to have to make a single change there. I, I, I guess they could maybe canter torpedoes things to a certain, to no, a I certain think, point. I think that's a fair point, but not enough to overlap what Kevin Durant does. You know yeah. what I mean? It's right. it's. He's still Kevin Durant, and he's still incredibly good at basketball, presuming that he is still after this injury, but I just don't see any way that someone with his skill and his size is, is not good. I mean, you know, it's it sounds nuts. It is nuts. There, I, I think there <laughs> are sen- okay. There are scenarios where all those guys play, a, you know, a 65-plus games for OKC, but Durant's not quite what he was because of the injury, and there's some friction, and maybe things don't work right with Donovan, and maybe he's not yeah. as good of a coach as we thought, plus... On the Jazz end, everybody hits the ceiling. Like, Gobert develops as much as you could have hoped. The point guard situation, like, Trey Burke takes a big leap, or Neto comes in and is way better than we thought. Alec Burks makes a big leap and is a prime defender who can play the point guard defensively where they can run those no-point guard lineups. 
Favors makes a leap, like so on and so forth, and you get everybody really hitting ceilings for the Jazz. I guess there are worlds where that's possible, but it's extremely. All unlikely. right, what's your percent likelihood? Like, you're, assuming you're the health, assuming like, the same health for each team. Odds? Yeah. Is it fifty to one? I mean, I think you'd have to give it like tw- probably twenty-five to one or something okay. like that. Assuming full health for both teams, okay. that that happens, just because uh, Oklahoma City has so much talent. Like, yeah, that's that's really the thing is they just have that top end talent that really right. makes a difference. Right. Um, and you know, and they're reasonably they they've got some decent backups, especially at the center position. Yeah. Um, which is, of course, makes it silly that they resigned and a scanter, but that's a topic for a different time. <laughs> we got to go ahead and take a break. On the other side, we're going to have Salt City Hoops writer Dan Clayton joining us. Uh, he wrote an article yesterday about the the Jazz's options um, at, at the point guard spot, especially in, in uh, the context of this this Jason Terry report that came out yesterday. We're going to be talking about that next on the Salt City Hoops show on ESPN 700. Talking hoops and the association. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Welcome back into the Salt City Hoops show on ESPN 700. John, do we have Dan ready to go, by the way? Not yet. All right. Dan will be here momentarily. Dan will be here soon. We're going to be talking about with him about some point guard options out there. Uh, l- let's quickly talk while we, we, we've got a second about the, I, the idea of the Jazz playing small. Uh, right. Because the Jazz... Uh, last year and I think moving forward to next year too are, are gonna be generally a big team, right? Their three best players, Derek Favors, Gordon Hayward, and Rudy Gobert, are all front court players, I think. You can make a case that Gordon Hayward's a two, but I, I really do think with his three. size he's a three. He's a three. Uh so that makes it a little bit tricky to play small like we've seen so successfully from the Golden State Warriors, from the Miami Heat, San Antonio Spurs, so on and so forth. As your primary but, identity, yeah. Yeah, but you can, uh, and I think at the end of games, by the way, you know, we saw, for example, the right. Warriors play small at the end of uh, at the end of games in the finals. I don't know if the Jazz will be able to do that because they don't have Hayward, Favors, and Gobert out there on the court. It's hard to take one of your best three players. Off you the want court. them at the end, yeah. You want them in for the last five minutes. Yeah. But I do think you can run Favors at the five and someone like Gordon Hayward or Joe Ingles or someone like that at the four. I also think maybe you can run Trey Lyles at center, like we talked about, and have a incredible passing sort of lineup that is built around uh, Lyles' playmaking. You run some cool one-five pick and rolls and stuff. I, I think that that gives you some options that a lot of teams don't really have. I think that might not be the type of thing we see a lot this year, while he's still developing his strength against NBA sure. players, things like that. But both that and quote unquote small ball lineups, where in reality. Lyles is actually playing four with either Gobert or Favors at center. I, I When I wrote about Lyles earlier in the summer, I wrote that if he checks his boxes, he will actually fit pretty well as a guy that accomplishes being a small ball guy, quote unquote, while also actually still being six foot ten and being and being able to because he spent so much time in college guarding wings and he's got that foot speed, he can do that. He cannot. We saw him in the summer league operating with the ball on the perimeter, things like that. You can if and if his shooting comes along, you can play him as that type of role. But then on the other end, okay, so you still guard a power forward and you'll do fine with it. Let's bring Dan Clayton into this conversation. Dan Clayton, writer for Salt City Hoops and B Ball Breakdown, joins us. Dan, how are you? Hey guys, how's it going? Good. Um, so let's let's get you in first of all on, on this topic, kind of what the Jazz look like while playing small. Do you think that's something that they do a lot of next year, and and can they do it with any success? Uh, you know, I think the guy that probably defines that decision is probably Tibor Pleiss and how ready he is, hmm. because I think if he's ready to have an impact on the game, then you can really do the opposite thing and just really drown people with with size and length for the. Um, 
you know, for the entire game. I, I think that that's one way they could go. I, I just caught the tail end of what Ben was saying about Trey Lyles. That's a possibility, too. I just I still wonder, at least in terms of, you know, October 28th, uh, the start of the season, I wonder how much of a role Lyles is going to have. Right, and I mentioned, Dan, I think you may have missed it right at the start. I mentioned that might not be a thing we see much of next year because Andy was also talking about Lyles potentially as a five down the line as some, if he develops the strength and the, 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 you know, the abilities interior on the, wow, on the interior as a defender, then that could be something that could work. I think this year, yeah, it's going to, the amount you'll see, especially the amount of them leaning on a guy like that for any sort of major anything is probably going to be pretty minor. But, and I actually disagree with you a little, Dan. I think the main piece that it hedges on this year is, is Hayward, is whether or not Hayward can play significant minutes at four where he's got to bang with some guys that are going to be bigger than him and that are going to potentially wear him down. Saw him wear down a bit last year. I think the biggest crux there is whether or not Hayward can do that. And that's, I'd love to see it personally, but you can't grind down your best player just to go to a certain style, especially when your primary style will not be that style. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I guess I was thinking about it the other way, which is, you know, what have the Jazz been, at least from the outside in, been building towards and that's, you know, with the exception of the occasional Trevor Booker, they've got guys that are above average size for their position. Um, but I guess you're right. I, I mean, I think it just depends. Like, you can definitely have him play four against the, like, Jared Dudleys of the NBA. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know that you want him playing four against Blake and Tim or Blake and LaMarcus or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, I, I guess... I guess um, from a standpoint of how often they actually go to something like that, Hayward probably is the key, and more specifically, how Hayward would fare in a specific matchup. Right. Well, but maybe at the end of the show, if we have more time, Andy, we can go into some like super specifics yeah. on this. Like, but we got other stuff to go with Dan here. Yeah, in particular, I wanted to ask you more about your article today um, with regards to kind of your your analysis of what the Jazz's options are at the point guard position. You know, I had my report yeah, today that the Jazz were um, were not talking to other sources than Real Jams Shams Charania. Shams Charania. Thank you. Uh, reported that the Jazz actually did have interest in in Jason Terry, and and I think that would have that means a lot. You know, regardless of whether it's true or false, that that those options are are out there for the Jazz. Yeah, it's kind of nice having Thursday as my regular day because then all I have to do to get an invitation onto the show is write something kind of incendiary and then <laughs> they'll say, Dan, come on and let's talk about it. So, yeah, my, my, my article is basically just, um, you know, there's been a, a low hum of rumors, not a lot of rumors, but a low hum of rumors around the jazz, particularly since the Dante Exum injury. Um, you know, most recently, Jason Terry and Garrett Temple and I sort of just wanted to look at what those rumors might tell us, um, both generally about where the Jazz are at right now, meaning maybe they're not done constructing the roster, and also specifically what that might tell us about the, the types of guys that they are or aren't considering. Um, but then again, you know, all of this was postulated off, off of, uh, you know, the basis for all of this was some rumors that, um, according to what you're hearing, may be off-base or exaggerated or... You know, obviously, you know, the two parties have a, a different take um, on exactly how active the Jazz are, and, and at least in terms of characterizing the types of conversations they're having. Maybe there was an exploratory um, feeler put out to Jason Terry, and that's what uh, Real GM got a hold of, or maybe Real GM had it right and the Jazz are downplaying it because they don't want to hurt guys' feelings or, um, 
you know, undermine Dante Exum's rehabilitation process. So I don't know the answer, but I, I think that's kind of where we sit right now with six weeks to go before camp starts is wondering if this is what the Jazz roster looks like on October 4th when they go to Hawaii. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I think I really do think it might be, you know, kind of what we see right now with a additional training camp D-League sort of caliber player as that number 20th spot. I, I also wanted to point out, uh, you know, you brought up Jose Calderon as, as one of the key options at point guard, and I think he, that's a good name to bring up because he would add a lot to the Jazz in terms of his ability to shoot. He's also a pass-first point guard guy. His teammates legitimately love to play with him because, you know, he opens up space for them in, in multiple ways. The only worry there is just kind of the injury concerns we've seen from Jose Calderon over the last year. From what it sounds like, Calderon's injury history is actually much more severe, even though he's only 34 compared to that of Jason Terry, who's 38. Oh, yeah, sure. So here's the qualifier I would put on Calderon, because I, I think everything you just said called, uh, to characterize my, my Calderon interest is true, just with some caveats. Number one, yeah, he could offer a lot to the Jazz, provided he looks like 2013-2014 Calderon, um, you know, the, the history of guys who miss a half a season at 34, like there's not a lot of really positive examples that you can point to of someone who, had a, who, who missed that much time at that age and came back super strong. Now, a lot of the time he missed was because New York was, you know, irrelevant and doing funky things and resting guys and shutting people down from the all-star break on. But having said that, I, the other caveat I would put on it is, I still say, and in fact, I still said this, if not in today's column, then in last week's, I still think the most likely scenario by far is that the starting point guard on October 28th for the Utah Jazz is Trey Burke. And the second most likely scenario is probably Raul Neto. I mean, like, there are some options out there. Jose is one of them. Um, but I still think that, you know, the most likely thing, just because of how hard it is to find trade partners and, and work things out in the NBA, the most likely thing is that, number three rolls out there when the Jazz visit Detroit. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you on the spot here a little bit, Dan, because I, I feel like having a little fun. Um, if you, let's say you're, you're the one at the helm and you've got these options. Now, you, I think, you're, by the way, I agree with everything you just said. I think the most likely outcome is Trey Burke's the starter, and if not him, then probably Raul Neto is the most likely starter because, like you said, it's harder to make deals than it is to not make deals. If your options, however, were A, you roll with the current guys you've got, you make no additions, Cotton makes the team, and you, you go from there. Option B is a trade that we were discussing on Twitter, uh, I believe it was yesterday before your post, um, regarding Calderon, where it's the three-team involving the Clippers, where the Clippers move Crawford, J- Jamal Crawford over to New York, the Jazz get Calderon, and then let's say the Jazz also get a second-round pick from both New York and the Clippers for facilitating their trade that they're making, which I think is close to realistic in terms of what would really happen. Like, the Jazz would never give up anything to make that deal. And, you know, they'd it'd be second-rounders that were flying. I don't think there'd be any first-rounders involved. So let's say it's something like that. And then the third option is you trade for Garrett Temple from Washington and you trade a non-guaranteed in a 2016 second or something like that. Some, a very small number of assets for him. If you had to pick between those three, what would your choice be? Well... So first of all, I have no idea if the Calderon trade is even available because it depends on if L.A. likes $16 million in tax and salary savings more than they like Jamal Crawford. They've got some redundancies on their wings. So my thinking is, hey, maybe they would trade Crawford into space to New York, who's, you know, taking Calderon to Utah, um, and it would save them a, a bunch of money. 
Um, if that option is available, I think that would be my first choice, and I think Temple would be my second choice. And that's not meant to sound like a slight to um, Burke or Neto or even Cotton. So it, when it comes down to it, those are two trades where you don't have to give up any rotation pieces, and you get to, at least on paper, significantly in, improve the point guard situation. So regardless of, I mean, if, if Calderon is, gives you anything approaching career levels, uh, I don't mean like career high levels, I mean the levels he's produced at over the course of his NBA career, or even the recent part of his career, then Calderon, Burke, and Neto is, an extre- is a huge upgrade over Burke, Neto, Cotton. And guess what? Temple, Burke, and Neto, not that I think that's the way the depth would be sorted out, by the way, but just if those were the three point guards, that's better than Burke, Neto, and Cotton. So I, I think I'm in the camp that if they, could, if they could get an upgrade like that that doesn't cost them a rotation piece, doesn't cost them future assets, doesn't screw up cap things too much, although I know Jose has some money owed to him, so that's the other downside of a Jose deal. But, but I would definitely be behind a deal like Calderon or Temple. Not that I'm – I mean, look, I don't have a man crush on either of those two guys, although I have brought Calderon up for the Jazz several times over the last few years. Uh, but ultimately, I think it's just about if you can upgrade and not give anything up, then, yeah, you, I mean, like, it, to me, that's kind of a no-brainer. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Dan's right. a Bryce Cotton hater. No, I, I think he <laughs> realizes that Bryce Cotton's, you know, fringe NBA talent, right? And the other guys we mentioned. Yeah, that's about where I'm at. Yeah, Jose Calderon uh, and even Garrett Temple to a degree are, are more than that. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, everybody likes the spunk that Cotton has, but his size gives some real problems. And, you know, people looked at his box scores and were impressed in the summer league. But if you looked at the other end, um, he was getting targeted a lot on defense, and that's something he's going to deal with throughout his career in, in the NBA. So Yeah, no, that makes sense. All right, Dan, we got to take a break, so we got to let you go. But thanks so much for joining us. As always, we can follow you on Twitter, at Dan Clayton, with a zero instead of the O in your, in your last name. Or, of course, you're writing on, on Salt City Hoops. Correct. Cool. All right, thanks, Dan. All right, Lucky see you guys. Like I said, we got to take a break. On the other side, we're going to be talking more about the Jazz's league-leading defense in the second half of last year and whether or not they can keep up that defensive rating for next season. That's next on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. Analytics and opinions on the Jazz and the rest of the NBA. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Welcome back into the Salt City Hoop Show. My name's Analytics. I'm here with opinions on the rest of the NBA on the Salt City Hoop Show. Sorry, that was the worst joke that I've ever made. <laughs> I thought stop. you were screwing the names up for a second, and then I realized nope, what was happening. No, that was that was on purpose. Oh man! No one. I, I mean, I thought it was kind of funny. No. I hope anyone even catches that. <laughs> like, we'll see. Um. Anyway, let's talk about defense for a second. Obviously, that was what propelled the, the Jazz to such such success at the end of last season. That ninety four D rating. That was one of the best, really, of all time. Um, when you kind of look at historical averages, 94.8 points allowed per 100 possessions after the All-Star break. But you you looked at a post, or you looked in your post this week on Salt City Hoops and kind of looked how much of that was luck and how much of that was real defensive improvement. Yeah, you know, there's, uh, of course, there's absolutely no question that the latter is the the majority of what it was. Like, the Jazz changed personnel. We saw a lot more Rudy Gobert, a lot less Ennis Cantor, a lot mm-hmm. more Dante Exum, a lot less Trey Burke. Not a lot less, but less. 
Saw a lot of uh, Elijah Millsap, or at least a good amount. Yep. Um, saw Rodney Hood play more consistently, and once he found his legs, he was a, a, at least an average defender, if not maybe slightly better. That's the most important thing by far is that the Jazz and the and the team came to understand the scheme better. They worked as a better five man cohesive unit. They were on a string. They everything just kind of progressed as the year went on. What's so, the but? The, well, there is a small but. Now, th- I don't know that the but even takes them back to to not being first. Like I still think if you had imp- like I haven't done the math, but I'm pretty sure even if you had. So here's the but. <laughs> open shooting, which is an area that, as I discuss in my post, is based on the evidence we currently have, co- almost completely random. Like, when there's no defender within four to six feet of the shooter, there's just... Th- the What the defense is doing doesn't matter. It, because you're not affecting a guy if you're that far away from him. When these are NBA guys, they've been shooting jumpers their whole lives, and they're very good at it, which is why, or at least most of them are, that's why they're in this league. Open jump shooting for the for, before the All-Star break... The Jazz allowed the highest percentage in the league on open jump shots outside of 10 feet and the second highest percentage on open threes, which that's just unlucky. That mean that in a sense on team on shots they had no control over, teams were making the highest percentage of the in the league on. Them. Well, and it also reflects maybe the Jazz's schedule, the the Jazz's very difficult schedule. Remember, it was the right. hardest in the league up to mm-hmm. that point. Of course, you'd expect the better teams to make more of their open shots. Definitely. And then after the break, it flipped on its head though. The Jazz after the break, allowed the 23rd best percentage on open shots and the 24th best percentage if you just limit it to threes only. Which, you're right, there's going to be some opponent context to factor in there, and there are going to be other little bits of context as well that go into it. You know, there are uh, little things that have been discussed, like who the specific guys the Jazz have on the floor, and if, you know, Dante Exum is longer, so he's got longer arms, right? So maybe that impacts things by just a, a hair here and there and so on and so forth. But over the aggregate... I think it's pretty fair to say that a, a jump that large, which is a huge jump, I, I put this in my piece, yeah, that's it's, nearly it's, three points per game just from the threes. That's not even including the twos, which there were, because I the, the doing, including the twos fudged my math. I'm not as good as math, <laughs> at math as you are. And that, so you have to assume at least three and a half, probably four points per game difference right there, just again on shots that the Jazz have basically no control over. I think that that's... Something that's going to have to be taken into consideration is you expect that to regress back to the mean to a certain point, right? Yeah. Oh, and I mean, no question. I mean, you look at a, an entire 82-game schedule compared to the 27-game or 29-game one that the Jazz mm-hmm. had after trading Ennis Cantor, and I think you, A, get a much harder schedule in that you face a, a harder variety of imp- opponents, but B, you know, the luck will even out, too, and you'll see the Jazz shooting, uh, you know, 40% or allowing 40% on on open shots more than 10 feet long, you know, for example, rather than 37 or 42 as it was before yeah. the All-Star break. And it sounds like um, nitpicking, folks, but it's a, that's a huge gap, a yeah, couple no, percentage points you're there. You're right. That that's, that's, you know, three points per game uh, or, you know, if it's four, per, it's four percentage points and the Jazz allow, what, you know, 80 shots per game. You know, I honestly, yeah, it's 80.3 shots per game. That yeah. was an incredible guess, by the way. Really good. Um, <laughs> then... Then you know you're looking at three to four points per game. That's about the impact of a star player compared to an average player, right? You yeah, know, that's you, a big deal. That's a, that's a big deal. But even if you bump them up three or four points from that 94, they're still actually a top two, three defense in the league. Right, and I didn't do that math based on per 100 possessions because that's where my skills w- became uh, insufficient. Is to because I was factoring it in on a per game basis, and I don't know how to convert that to per 100 possessions and so on and so forth. 
the other thing that's I think a little bit more uh, a little bit easier to see for the casual fan is that there are going to be other little things. For instance, scouting. Teams are going to have done a lot more scouting on the Jazz, and in particular Rudy Gobert this yep. year. He came in as a starter midway through last year. There's not a lot of time midseason for practice time to drill things, especially for one player on one team. There's and, not much time for that. And we saw that with Roy Hibbert in, in yep. years two of three of his kind of ascendance into domination as teams figured out how to bring him out into the perimeter, et cetera. Right. That, I think we're going to see less Millsap because you, you assume that Burks is back healthy and he bumps Millsap down a spot in the rotation. Obviously, see a bit you'll less. see less Exum. Yeah, you'll definitely see no Exum, which he was the best defensive point guard by far who the Jazz had. Little things like that, I think, and and just the fact that from it's really hard to maintain the level they were at last year because it was yeah. historically awesome. No team has matched over a full season what the Jazz's defensive rating was post-All-Star break since 2000. No team. Yeah, I, I mean, if I had to guess where the Jazz were next season, I'd say... You know, maybe third defensively overall. Do right. you think that's fair to say? But in the top five, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know that it's definite, but that's where I would guess. Yeah. Agreed. All right. We got to go ahead and take a break on the other side. We're going to be looking at the Jazz's performances last season, breaking them down player by player, doing a little bit of a retrospective for you. That's coming up next on the Salt City Hoop Show. You're listening to ESPN 700. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoops show on ESPN 700. I'm Andy Larson, joining you alongside Ben Dowsett as always, or at least going forward always. Yeah, we finally worked We've, the schedule out. I'll I mean, finally be here to, every yeah, week. Yeah, you went to Toronto, you, you did your Canadian thing, you, 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 you don't love America, that's fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and But regardless, you're back. And and you love basketball, and that's what's important. I do. Uh, we've been asking for calls throughout the show. We've had a couple thus far. If you want to join in on any of the segments here from from now until the rest of the show, please call us 877-353-0700. 877-353-0700. Do if it. We're really personable. If Are we? I feel like we're below average personable. Are we? <laughs> I, I mean, on I'm definitely that on Twitter. I feel like like all voice to voice, I'm I'm decently personable. No, it's true. I'm I'm just making fun of us. Yeah. <laughs> I you know I'm a nerd, right? Like I I can't do social things. What what is what is? Everyone talking? knows that those are mutually exclusive categories. Uh, yes, well, for sure. Um, or you know, if you are a nerd like us, you can you can feel you can tweet us at Andy B Larson or at Ben underscore Dowsett. Um, you know, either way. Oh, we should give the people a couple brief pieces of NBA news for those who are not yes, on Twitter do. at the moment. Uh, it appears as though J.R. Smith has re-signed with the Cleveland Cavaliers. $5 million this year. I'm not sure if I saw what the number will be next year, but it is a two-year deal. I also don't recall whether it was an, whether there was an option on that second year or what the deal was going to be. But he's staying in Cleveland. Staying in Cleveland. Hilarious because he turned down. He opted out of a player option that would have paid him more money to stay in Cleveland than he's going to currently get this year to stay in Cleveland. But, hey, there's J.R. Smith for you. Second piece of news, uh, Warriors draft pick 30th overall, Kevon Looney out of UCLA. Jazz fans will remember the Jazz had him here for a workout, and he was actually in some, on some people's boards as a potential target for the Jazz there at that 12th spot. Uh well, it looks good that they didn't select him at this point. He has had hip surgery, will be out four to six months. The hip was a concern pre-draft. There was a lot of rumors from both sides. His camp was totally denying that it was a problem. Some people were saying it was going to be a big problem. Looks like it was a problem. Uh, he's Now that said, being with the Warriors, they don't need him at all. They can right. like they can afford to let him rehab, and so it's a good place for him to have landed, but it's good that a team like the Jazz, who maybe could have used a guy on the court next year, didn't pick a guy like that. Agreed. 
All right, so we're going to do something. We're going to look at the 13 players who were on the roster last season and are going to be on the roster next season and basically spend three minutes apiece on them and, and kind of look at how they did last season, how they look to translate to next season. And, and you know, we'll, we'll do that moving forward for really pretty much the rest of the show. I literally have my phone out. We're going to start timing uh, three minutes per person. Three minutes? Are you ready to start with Trevor Booker? Let's do it. All right. So Trevor Booker last season, I, I thought he showed a lot of versatility in his game. Two stats that really stand out to me with Trevor Booker compared to last year compared to the rest of his career. First, he started taking three-point shots. Prior to last season, he had taken 10 three-point shots overall. Last year, he took more than one a game, 84 overall for a 34.5% three-point shot uh, percentage. As you pointed out, that's higher than Draymond Green's last season. He also started taking more shots and, and making more plays. He had an 18% usage, which is, you know, not above average. Average is 20, but that's much higher than he was in his first four seasons with Washington, where he was around 14, 15. I thought he showed himself to be a much more versatile player than he was. He's also the heart of the team at this point. Um, I, I like Trevor Booker a lot. I do too. And, you know, we talked earlier in the show about the possibility down the line of Trey, Bur or excuse me, Trey Lyles as a a small quote unquote small ball guy who isn't small which is that's great like that's the that's why Kevin Love is good is because Kevin Love is a small ball guy who isn't small right. um Trevor Booker to a point is you know 34 and a half percent from 3 is not bad it's that it's you know and if he can sustain that or even potentially up that just a tad with a little more comfort that's a floor spacer at the four position and I like it. I'm I'm with you. I think he made a lot of real a lot of real strides based on what we had seen of him as a player from his previous year. I think he did some. I think he's perfectly good defensively for the role that the Jazz are. You know, he's not favors. He's not Gobert, but he's he does what the Jazz ask him to. He's good positionally. He's. I mean, he's obviously never taking a playoff. That would be like completely against his <laughs> DNA. That's not happening. Um, I, I really like Booker. I even think that there's you, a chance that he sticks around after the because I feel oh, like I he loves I feel so. like he loves the culture here and he knows this is a team that's going to be doing things and that he can be a veteran voice and kind of a a presence for that team as long as well as continuing to compete for those third big minutes which I think he will with a Trey Lyles for at least another couple of years. Uh, are you comfortable with him being third big? Yeah, moving forward, just, I am. You know, completely giving comfortable giving. I I I'm a little bit questionable about it. You know, I I've, maybe if my fourth big were better, I would feel better about it. But you know, right now you've got Tibor plays and an untested rookie, Trey Lyles. Uh, I think know, we'd if, slightly disagree there. I think Trevor Booker is at least a league average third big, if not maybe slightly hmm. better. Okay. I, because, again, we all know how much I love the modern game and how I love spacing and how I love things like that. I really think he brings that to, uh, to as much of a point as you can get for an actual big guy, like a guy who can actually guard power forwards. Beyond your stars, but he's, like, he's not that big, right? He's he's short for the size. He's six seven for a power. He forward. is, but he doesn't play that way. You don't see guys getting a huge advantage on him in the post. You don't see him getting killed on the boards. In fact, he's a very, very good rebounder. I think you see him do a lot of those big skills at a decent level, while also ha you know not you know he's not Kevin Love and he's not Serge Ibaka or anything like that. But he's a he's also wor he costs a third of what those guys right. cost or even less. So I I really like the role that he plays and who he is. Yeah, I, I agree. I like I really like his guard skills too as a power forward. I think they're fun to watch. Right. That's exactly three minutes. Let's move on. Boom. Oh, we've got even the timer to play. It's perfect. Very nice. Trey Burke. Trey Burke. Trey Burke. I, I feel like I've led the choo choo train of of hate, the the hate brigade for Trey Burke. But quite honestly, you look at the stats and it's hard not to with his shooting percentages, 36.8% from the field, 31.8% from three. Uh it, it, 
it's catch and shoot that he's not great at. It's it's pull ups that he's not great at. It's with zero dribbles, one dribbles, eight dribbles. Uh, he doesn't take. Uh, I've heard this to defend him, and it it doesn't stand up to statistical scrutiny. That part of the reason why he shot so bad was because he was taking so many shots at the end of the shot clock. Yeah, that doesn't that doesn't stand up because the rest of the Jazz, it turns out, we're taking a lot of shots at the end of the shot clock too, and we're doing better at them than he was. And we're doing exactly. Uh, that being said. Because it's hard to do worse, and and actually, I should point this out, he is the first player in 50 years since 1964-65 to shoot over 1,000 shots and shoot under 37%. There have been a lot of chuckers in NBA history, and he is amongst the chuckeriest. (laughs) That being said, it's going to be hard for him to miss more shots than he did last season, just because I, I think he's a better shooter than what he showed. Maybe even, you know, even if he gets like 2 to 3% better and shoots 40%, all of a sudden you have like a semi-useful backup. And more, maybe not more importantly, but equally as importantly, because I think if he is taking and missing as many shots as he was making last season, he just isn't going to be playing. Like, not that he's not going to play at all, but if he can't rein that that total volume in a little, especially if he's playing with the starters, like maybe they want him to have some of that volume if he comes off the bench, but if he's playing primarily with that starting unit and he can't rein that in a bit, somebody else will be playing with that starting unit instead pretty quickly. Well, and that's the thing is, it, but if you have him play, even this year's bench, I think, is better than last year's bench. Yep. You know, it's not Elijah Millsap anymore that you're taking shots away from. It's either Alec Burks or Rodney Hood. Yep. You know, I, I think that's a real concern for the Jazz is, now, if you if you have a decent bench that Trey Burke's taking shots away from, I, I don't know. You know, obviously, if he shoots forty five percent next year and is a good point guard, and that could absolutely happen. Point guards are notoriously slow to develop. Third year is very often a time but where they kind of hit some stuff. Sometimes Trey Burke did a very excellent job of giving us a large sample size of his shots, and he's not good at making them. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's been the case up until now. And if we, you know, if we don't see anything different. I, I am a little a bit encouraged, as based somewhat on the discussions we've had recently and on digging more into it. I, I do think he can be a lot better defensively than what he has been yeah. and, and can get himself maybe even start to creep up towards like average or backup average as a as a defensive point guard. Agreed. I, th- I think he is now underrated defensively. I think he gets a lot more crap than he, he really deserves on the defensive end. Um and you know maybe it can can be average. I agree. Yeah. It's that and which would be a nice thing to have in the backup spot. Yep. Three minutes. Do we? Are, We've did got we even... eight seconds left. Well, but let's go ahead and move it. on. Alec Burks. You feel strongly about Alec Burks? We'll give those five seconds to Alec. Alec Burks was obviously injured for most of last season. Twenty-seven games only played with that sh- shoulder injury. He's been at a hundred percent for a long time now, though this summer, and, right. and has a lot of time to work on his game. He didn't play well in those first 27 games, but I, I almost want to write them off because of what he did do well earlier in his career. What do you expect from Alec Burks next season? I'm, I'm, I will say that for a guy who is as in love with Alec Burks' game as I am, he's one of the guys on the Jazz who I have the least read on as far as what his what's gonna this next year is gonna be like. Because, like you said, it's a big question: is his current game more reflective of what we saw last year? Where he settled for a lot of pull up, a lot more pull up jumpers, got to the line less often. He shot a better percentage from three, but he was settling way more. He wasn't the attacking getting to the hoop every single time he had the ball type of guy that we were used to seeing from the year before. Was that because he had some stuff going on with the shoulder and he was worried about the contact? Was there something to do with the scheme that he wasn't quite getting into it yet? It did seem like maybe it took him a little longer than it was taking the other guys to kind of get into the flow of that scheme. The big thing for me that I want to see with Alec is is defensively. I've noted a lot in the past how on the ball – 
Alec Burks is a very good defender. Like has the has the chops there. He's 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 got good instincts, good reaction speed. He's long. He's got the speed. The issue for him has always been away from the ball. Where you'll if you watch him closely, watch some plays, guys. You'll see he that guy drifts in no man's land as bad as like anybody I can think of. As far as you either want to be with your guy or giving help, and he does neither. Where he stands right in the center, doesn't help on a guy who needs to be helped on. Plus, doesn't recover back to his guy fast enough. That that stuff's got to change, right? Like his awareness away from the ball. If it does, though. I think this could be a guy, and we've heard a lot of talk about, do the Jazz go to no point guard lineups every now and then, where you play Burks with Hood and Hayward and then two bigs. I think he opens up that possibility for larger chunks of minutes if he can improve enough on D where he can guard most point guards. Because as it is right now, a good you, you try and put him on Tony Parker, they're going to run him off a million screens all day down low, and Alec, based on what we saw recent, as recent as last year, is not going to be able to keep up. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think it'll be interesting. I worry about Alec Burks at point guard because he's not a good passer. I don't think he's even a good passer for a shooting guard. No, I agree. Um, and, and so I don't like him at that position. Well, but um, you, he's not the primary ball handler, I think, is the reason why. If you have him on the court with Hood and Hayward, where both those guys can be primary ball handlers, then he doesn't even have to bring the ball up the court most of the time. That type yeah, of thing. I mean, maybe, but then you know, he's not your point guard. Then Gordon, Hay- you know what I mean? Like it's right. It's just. But see, I like that if Alec defensively can, because Gordon can't guard point guards. But if Alec can, then I think that becomes a much more viable lineup. I agree with you that the number one thing to look for in Alec's game next season is the off-ball defense, and really, right. I think one test of that will be how much Quinn Snyder is yelling at Alec Burks next year. Yeah. You know, if if you want to know how Alec Burks is playing. Look at Quinn Snyder and see yeah. what kind of, I guess, facial expression he has with Alec Burks. Yeah. But I have the faith that he can get there. We, Quinn has shown he can make an effect on these guys, and Alec has the has he understands the game. He has the chops. He just he, he straight up just spaces out. That's going to not happen as much when Quinn's on the sideline yelling at him, don't space out. Like, Hopefully. I mean, but he did at the beginning of last season, too. That's true, yeah. That's our three minutes for uh, Alec Burks. Let's move on to Jack Cooley. Jack Cooley had 87 minutes last year in, 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 in an NBA roster um, with all with the Jazz, 16 games. He did set a D-League record last year with 29 rebounds. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's he's a beast down low. I think he's a very bad defense defender. Um, I think he's a very, yeah, I just think that he's very bad. And honestly, I don't think that he has much of a chance to make this roster because this organization likes and needs Bryce Cotton. And Chris Johnson, quite frankly, is a better prospect in my mind. Yeah, Chris Johnson has earned his spot. Uh, I would be, yeah, I'd be pretty shocked. If 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 Jack made the team, I think he's going to go. They've they've done the same type of thing where they give him a partially guaranteed deal to kind of incentivize him to well, say his deal was signed at the end of last season. Right, so right, right. He's got yeah. a three year deal that exactly. was signed. It's not like it was last season where it was a new deal, but it right. was anyway. But it's the same situation where it incentivizes him to go be, to go down to Idaho and to play there. And but pretend- he doesn't have a guarantee for this season like he did for last season. Oh right, okay, yeah, my fault. Excuse me. Yeah, um, I think that's what's going to happen. He's going to go play with Idaho. He's going to have some crazy stat line games like he did last year. We're going to see him put up like twenty six points and eighteen rebounds or something nuts like that. I'm really interested to see if he can develop a little more as a shooter. I think that if he ever makes the NBA. That's like for full time for somebody. That's going to be how it happens, where he becomes an actual like knockdown threat from from deep, where you can overlook the fact that he's a terrible defender and so on and so forth. I mean, last year he didn't even shoot any threes while he was with the Jazz. I know he right. sh- he shoots them in Idaho, right? Like I'm pretty 
Uh, let me look that up because I'm I'm not positive. I I want to say he shoots. I see him shooting them in warmups all the time. He can make them. I I he shot 19 threes last year oh, in 20 it? games. Oh well, I got more of an impression from his warmups then because I because <laughs> seriously he goes out there and has a, like no, a, a full regimen of three point shooting during his warmups. Um, it, you know, and it's too bad because he's an awesome guy. He's hilarious. He's uh he's one of the best guys to be around. It's too bad he won't be in the locker room much, but unfortunately. There's a lot of other talent there. Well, and if, if injuries happen, I do think that this Jazz um, big lineup is a little bit uh, it's a little bit thin. You know, if if any of Derek, Rudy, Trey Lyles, uh, Booker. Booker, or Tibor Pleiss go down with an injury, I think Jack Cooley is that next guy right. who the Jazz look to to fill that role. Absolutely. And, and quite frankly, during the course of an NBA season, it's probably likely that one of those guys goes down mm-hmm. at, you know, one of the five guys at a position and you know, being there in Idaho, learning the jazz position um, and and system down there, I think will will help. Definitely. Let's move on to a D League fellow D Leaguer in Bryce Cotton. Uh, you know, Bryce, uh, where do you think he stands in in terms of this three point guard rotation? Is he definitely the the worst point guard? I mean, some people think he's the best out of I'm, these. I'm three. just not ready to say definitively that he's the worst of those three point guards because I just I still think that with him and with Neto. We're still at a point where we haven't seen enough of them at the NBA level to make that determination for sure. And if Neto comes in and is a train wreck as far as the speed of the NBA game and can't learn the positioning and doesn't defensively doesn't know where he needs to be within the Jazz's scheme and things like that, I think you could quickly see a situation where Cotton is a more effective player on the floor. And and honestly, same with Trey Burke. If Burke continues to do all the bad things we just talked about a couple minutes ago and doesn't introduce any good ones... You could see a situation where Cotton is the best guy they've got left. The pace, I think, is a real thing. Yeah, the Jazz—that's something the Jazz need, and there's not a lot of other guys there who have really been willing to do that. Right. To just we get the whether it's off of a missed shot or whether it's off of a made shot turnover, whatever. Bryce gets the ball, he's going like he's running as quickly as he can to the. And if that doesn't materialize, then just take the ball back out and start your half court offense. That's fine. But if it does. He gotten. He's, there's been plenty of occasions where he's gotten just last year where he got the Jazz two on ones or three on twos odd man situations where you're getting easy points out of it. And an offense like the Jazz, where as we've said, they're going to play two bigs a lot. You need those free points. Like you need easy points like that coming. And that's. I think that's a big deal. I agree. I think the reason why I think it's less likely he starts than Raul Neto starts is because he's a higher usage point guard. Uh, like Trey Burke is, where he does take a lot of shots, and and he's not a facilitator. You know, I think he's yeah. the worst of the three in facilitating, and and Trey Burke is not great at that. Uh, but Cotton is is you know he doesn't really have the court vision that you know you'd get from an elite playmaking point guard. He does shoot the ball, I think, the best out of the three, and that's a valuable skill. And you could see the Jazz use that if they need shooting on the floor. Uh, but I think I think he ends up being kind of the odd man out, quite and not. Really, I mean, he he still may play five ten minutes a game, but I think he's he's third in terms of minutes per game behind Neto and and Burke. Like if I was forced to say it right now, just right. based on what I know, I would agree with that. But I think there's a re- I think there's a lot of real situation. I'm trying to look up just real quick. I'm trying to look up what his catch and shoot numbers were last year. Were they good? I have no idea. I'm, uh, I'm looking them up as he we shot forty two percent in the in, in the NBA, forty seven percent in D League, but that's overall not just catch and shoot. I agree. I think he is a, a good shooter. 
you know, not an elite one, certainly, but if he were an elite one, he'd be in the NBA. Ooh, his catch-and-shoot um, was not lovely last year. He didn't it? shoot enough shots to make it a large enough sample, but his, his three-point percentage was only 29% on the catch-and-shoot. and, shoot and his effective, that, But that's just NBA, right? So Just in the NBA. They don't have those numbers for the D-League. That so, I, it, well, they do in synergy, but that's a different uh, different measure. And, and to me, right he now. only shot 69 shots overall. To me, I, I don't feel confident not a large making sample. a sample size. Yeah, the, that, has, that percentage yeah, he is took, good or not. He took .9 three-point attempts per game in the catch-and-shoot. And he had 15 games, so yeah, he so. shot 14 of them. I don't think it's fair to judge him based on that. No. Uh, I still want those D-League sport view numbers, though. Let's do that, D-League. Moving on. Our, <laughs> I heard the noise. Just I heard the noise. Dante Exum. Obviously, oh. Dante Exum is a, is a sad, sad story right now. Um, just, again, an update that we gave at the beginning of the show. Looks like he'll have his surgery within the next 10 days or so. Depending on when the swelling goes, there's there's this whole process of what's called prehab, where they kind of have to make his knee move around and reduce the swelling, and it, it significantly helps uh, good outcomes in terms of surgery. Obviously, the Jazz are doing that, and then they'll do the surgery and then get into the actual rehab. Uh, he will not play for the rest of the season when that surgery occurs. So, you know... Forget about a return of Dante Exum in, in March or April. Quite frankly, Which there's is the just right, no that's reason right. to, right? Like, yep. it's not like it's this is not like a Derrick Rose situation where he's the MVP and would help you out on the floor a lot. He would be probably Dante Exum, you know, yeah. a five PR guard last year. He can't be the savior, that especially said, when he's got a when he's coming back, just coming back and testing that leg, like just for the first time. You know, he's yeah. no, they're gonna give him the whole all of next summer to rehab the whole thing, and he he'll come back at the start of the following year. I don't know if they will give him the whole summer to rehab. I'll say because there there's probably two or three different opportunities they could bring uh, him. Oh back yeah, yeah, yeah. The summer. I didn't mean. Sorry, I, I I misspoke. I meant there. He, I basically just meant to say he will not play in the NBA. This okay, year. agreed. Uh, they could bring him back for Jazz Summer League next season, yep. which would be you know probably the soonest and the best case outcome. Please uh, do it so I can see him there, please. Uh, <laughs> but you know maybe you don't want to bring him back. Maybe that's a good setting to bring him back. Yeah, you could have him play in the Rio Olympics. Uh, Australia just qualified, beating New Zealand in their two game series mm-hmm. uh, over the weekend. So uh, he'll he could make that roster and and could play. If By the way, Dante, play, you know. Good on Dante. I saw him tweeting about that a bunch, support, showing the support for the team. Good on you, man. Like, that's yeah. cool. It'd be really easy to be to just kind of look the other way from that now that that oh. was, like, the root cause of your season-ending injury. But, I mean, that's why he wanted to play in a friendly in the first place is because he, you know, legitimately loves his country and True. loves Australia. Yeah. yeah. That's his, his continent, too. It's amazing what you can do with Australia. Yeah. Um. Or he could come back and kind of maybe some friendly action or kind of just come back at the Jazz's open gym at, at Zions Bank Basketball Center and play with the rest of the Jazz kind of moving towards preseason. And it all just depends on how well that recovery happens uh, from, from that ACL surgery. Assuming there's no hiccups or anything like that and the surgery does take place within the next week or week and a half, like you're saying, would you would you want him to play in the Olympics? Um. I, again, I think it depends where he is in his recovery. Well, assuming no hiccups. Some, I mean, there are sometimes some setbacks. I would say, yeah. I, I, I want Dante to get as many minutes as possible. Um, I would hope to see Australia use him significantly differently than yeah. they have had now, You know, where they just kind of post him up in the corner and yeah. have him do corner things, i.e. stand there. But, um, yeah, I'd like to see him get as many minutes as possible. If you can make that ACL transition to feeling comfortable with using that leg in a non-jazz uniform, then I think that makes him better when he is in a jazz uniform. There's the sound. Yes, let's move on. Uh, Derek Favors is our next and last person for for this segment. Derek Favors, uh, 
you can make a case that he's the Jazz's best player. You can easily. I, I find I always, by the way, find it hilarious when everybody on on the Twitter conversations when they get going. Everybody, of course, immediately wants to jump to who's better at Hayward and uh, Gobert. Who's the better player? Like, like guys, there's a, there were a lot of nights last night where Derek or last year, excuse me, where Derek Favors was clearly the best player on the Jazz. And you look at like the the plus minus differences when he was in the game compared to when he wasn't at the mm-hmm. end of last season, and they're incredible. I mean, when, when Derek Favors was in the game last season, the Jazz were a a plus ten differential sort of team. You know, they were really an elite team over the last course of uh, over the last section of last year. When Derek Favors was out of the game. They weren't, you know, they were about a, a average-ish team. And and I think that speaks to Derek Favors' skill set, um, both on offense and on defense, on both sides of the ball. We've talked about whether or not he's a four or a five. You were one of the first people to say that he should be a power forward. I honestly felt he should be a center. I think the times come where maybe it's it's shown that you're right. But I also think that it's nice that he has a versatility to play multiple positions. I think it's, I totally agree. It's come to the point where, prime, I think, prime, well... With the Jazz's primary identity, he's absolutely a four. But the fact that he's become so as versatile as he has, I think, and this is something I I know for a fact based on people I've spoken to, the Jazz will play him at center next year, and they believe that he has the size and that he has the ability to play that position. Just not like 35 minutes a game. Right. Which is, so I think that he's in a great circumstance. I think people have asked me all the time. I think the most popular candidate for who's going to be the you know the quote unquote breakout guy for the Jazz is is Hood, which is reasonable because he mm-hmm. you know he had a really strong close to the year. My answer's been favors more often than not. I think there there's a chance that this year he's the one that makes that is the guy that's knocking on the All Star door. If yeah. it, him and Hayward have the two best chances, but I think he he might e- I might even have him a little above. If you said if one Jazz player could make the All Star game this year, which guy would have the best chance to do it? I think I might say. Favors. Maybe. I might say Rudy, honestly, just yeah, because he is kind of the sexy name and will get true. credit for anything good that the Jazz do. That's but, very true. Uh, Derek Favors, A, should have been on Team USA for sure. Ugh. I had a chance to interview him last Monday when he was doing the uh, Back to School Boys and Girls Club event. Uh, and he he really was, he said, we asked him what he was working on for this year in terms of his game. He said, playing next to Rudy. In other words, working on his movement and his agility, working as a perimeter big. Um, shooting as obviously the shooting and, and maybe even from three, he talked about developing a three point shot. That would be fun to see more of from Derek favors last or next year who he did make his first career NBA three pointer last season. I want to see him shoot like not a ton of threes this year, but I would like to see like if Derek's wide open in the corner or close to the corner he needs to shoot that. I completely agreed. All right. We're out of our three minutes of Derek favors time. We got to take a break on the other side. We, Restart this conversation. Rudy Gobert, Rodney Hood, and more. That's coming up next on the Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700. Doing three minutes each on each of the Jazz's players, uh, each of the Jazz's players, their season last year, and kind of looking forward to next year. Kind of doing a PTI style. Starting the timer now. Let's We've do got it. The, the the alphabet has kind of put us in in a hard place here. We've got Rudy Gobert, Gordon Hayward, and Rodney Hood this time period. And then next next segment we've got um some some different names. Let's put it that way. Guys, not but as lesser large. names. Yeah. But let's get started. Rudy Gobert set the NBA on fire last season. There's no question. I mean, in terms of what you can expect, a 27th pick in the draft to develop, he overshot that by leaps and bounds oh. by a Rudy Gobert wingspan, if you will, of, of distance between what people thought he could do and what he actually did. I mean, he started 37 games last season, led the league in block percentage. Uh, I mean, 
the rebounding was insane. 12.9 rebounds per 36 minutes last year. Shot over 60% from the field. After shooting 48% the previous year. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing. It was incredible. Rudy Gobert became a superstar overnight, and quite frankly, he looks like he deserves every bit of it. Yeah, and he knows he deserves every bit of it, too. Yeah. Um, two things with Rudy Gobert. First, I have a prediction to get on the air yeah, that is also going to go in my 10-season predictions thing Ooh. when I do that, which I got like six and a half of those right this past year, which was pretty good. Um, Rudy Gobert will block fewer shots this year than he blocked last year over the full season. Like fewer total Fewer blocks? total shots. Wow. He will block fewer but, total. He blocked 189 shots last year. But last season he only shot 200, or he only played 26 minutes a game, right? Like yeah. if he bumps that up to 33, you still think that's, he still doesn't get as many blocks? I have not done my full math on this, but I'm sticking I, with I it just, anyway. Rudy, I believe that Rudy Gobert will block fewer shots than he blocked last year because of what I was talking about before. People know him now. Sure. People know, when, not even just when he's guarding the guy with the ball. People know when he's on the court. People know that you can, if he's the weak side defender you need to watch what you're doing when you go if you try and post a guy up on the other on the strong side of the floor so on and so forth that might be crazy i'm going to revisit it a little bit before we get to the actual 10 thing before i actually get to my my season's predictions column but i think his blocks are going to be significantly down based on how much more knowledge people have of him other thing the biggest stuff for rudy in my opinion of and i think in most people's opinion is on the other side of the floor and I'm really, really excited. This is now probably the thing. I, this and Rodney Hood are now probably the things I'm most excited for this year now that we're not going to see Exum. He was in that mm-hmm. slot before. Um, we've seen him. We've seen bits at Zion's Bank of him, him. He's working on floaters. He's working on sealing guys down low with his post position. That's a thing I've been big on him. You remember last year when uh, Portland tried guarding him with uh, with Darrell Wright yeah. for periods? And teams started to do that a little more where they'd go with, and it it worked, worked yeah, because Rudy just couldn't hurt him offensively. The Jazz are preparing for those scenarios this year by saying, Rudy, you don't have to do anything. You're so much stronger than this guy. Back him down until you're right under the basket and then get the ball and dunk it. Like, that's the easiest way to do that. And he's just got to learn the fundamentals with that, which he's been doing. Great passer off the pick and roll. We saw that last year. I want to see even more of that. So versatile at that. Yeah. So, like, really, really incredibly. And then I'm interested to see if they ever give him. The, the license to not from 15 feet, but from like 10 to 12 feet, if they give him the license to shoot the ball. Yeah, he shot maybe two shots from out, from out that far. Something like this that. Year. Not mean, very many. They, We're going over our time on him, but that's okay. <laughs> um, he shot, yeah, like an exceedingly low number of shots, and he shot like like 1% from beyond 16 yeah, feet last no, year. I, or something. I agree. Which, but I'm interested to see if they, you know, and I'm interested to see how much he can continue raising his free throw percentage if he can. He raised it from 49 to 62 well, from la- the previous year to last year, if he can get that even up close to seventy, we really are talking about potentially like a superstar player. If nothing else, it, you know, it looks changes. like he ta- shot three shots from beyond ten feet last year. By the way, no, sorry, three shots from ten to sixteen feet, uh, five shots from sixteen to threes. But and he made anyway. zero of those. And he made zero. No, he made one made of them. One of them. Okay. Yeah. All right. Anyway, nice. moving forward because we cheated. We can't cheat. Nah, sorry. Gordon Hayward, also an important player. Do you think he's? I guess let me ask this. Do you think he's the best player on the Jazz's roster? Who would you take out of out of Gobert, here's, Hayward, or Favors? Here's what I'll say. I I sometimes dislike the best argument. What I think you can say almost unequivocally with Hayward is he's the most important player on the on the Jazz team. Okay. Because if you take away one of those two other guys, the other one is still there. And not that their skills like massively overlap, but at least defensively, at least they do some of the same things, and yeah. they've and they can approximate some of each other's skills. Plus. You've got the drop-off to Trevor Booker, while still significant, is not the drop-off from Gordon Hayward 
to Chris Johnson or to you know to Joe Ingles, yeah. which that's a you know I love those guys. Those guys are good players, but Gordon Hayward is a legitimate star, and those guys are le- like close to replacement level players. Okay. The the I think the drop off from Gordon to anybody, and therefore I think that means that if if there's one Jazz player who can't get injured, it I think it needs to be Gordon Hayward, and and also initiating offense is just a rarer skill. Than than being a good defender, which they're both very valuable, but initiating effective offense like Gordon did, oh yeah, absolutely. I, in terms of rarer skills, you know, like I I would say, in terms of game changers on on defense, I, I would say that Gordon Hayward's skill set is more common than say than Rudy Gobert's. You know, you look at Rudy Gobert and you count maybe five of his type uh, in the league. Well, it's all a matter think, of degrees. You know, like Gordon Hayward, you got like Rudy Gay, you've got like. I don't know. Demar Derozan is not really the same kind of player, but he could, does some nice things. I mean, but neither you've got of those players like, are wing score types. Yeah, I mean, so if you know, I, I'm trying to think of the way to quantify the the response to that. It, I just think if you if you say, all right, this guy is equally good at defense as this guy is at initiating offense, effect, efficient offense, and being able to both score his own points and co- essentially command an offense. The latter is a rarer skill in the league and is and is valued that way. You can see it in contracts like Ennis Cantor just got seventy million dollars, and Elijah Millsap is like basically a minimum salary player. Yeah, but because it's not one, offense versus defense, it's it's I'm looking at their skill sets. But regardless, right. we're not talking enough about Gordon Hayward, who deserves to be talked about. I mean, he is incredible because he both a got more efficient and b took more a bigger percentage of the offense last year yeah. which i didn't expect personally i thought he would take a lesser share of the offense mm-hmm. under a a non ty corbin system right. he actually had a greater usage percentage took more shots made more shots um really developed his game last year got he, to the line way more often i was really impressed by how often mm-hmm. he got to the line like he crept into like that just below harden type territory for his free throw rate which is that's really good free throws are three points yeah i've heard the complaint that he got um screwed at the at free throw calls and, and foul calls mm. last year i don't see that at all quite frankly as someone who made that complaint during the season i will retroactively call myself incorrect because you're right <laughs> over the cumulative sense yeah he did just fine there yeah I, I you know i think he i'm with you i think he's jazz's most important player uh is so good i i mean I, I don't think people sometimes understand maybe i'm just thinking about the one guy who was at my last job who <laughs> hated gordon hayward and and cringed every time he came in like no gordon hayward is is our lifeblood of of goodness and if not then we have to watch joe ingles the numbers Elijah to which Millsap. the numbers to which the offense just crumbled and died when he left the floor last year especially in the early parts of the season were like startling we've got three minutes for rodney hood rodney hood last year only played 50 games started in 21 of them and was not good even in the games that he played in earlier in the year. You know, no. he shot bad percentages. He looked a little bit lost. Uh, honestly, he looked kind of like the player that I thought he would be. I was not a Rodney Hood believer after the Jazz drafted him because mm-hmm. his, his statistical projections were so bad. But over the last course of the season, he figured out the pick-and-roll game. He became a much better defender and showed an ability to score, as Tony Jones from the Salt Lake Tribune likes to say, at all three levels, from the three-point line, mid-range game, and and finish at the rim. And that's an incredibly valuable skill set that you don't see in a lot of wings. Absolutely, and I think the part you mentioned it in what you just said, his his pick and roll improvement, I think is the biggest thing there. Like we I think we had an idea that this could be a shooter when he was coming out of college, that this was a guy that could shoot the ball. Mm-hmm. The, the how quickly he's been able to set himself, he can be a primary ball handler. We saw him do it near the end of the year last year. He was the Jazz's primary ball handler, closing games even when yeah. Hayward was hurt. 
it, the fact that you can have a guy his age who's already capable of doing that, he's so I say this all the time, he's so good at shielding guys with his back when he's, you know, you get you go around the pick really well. First of all, he's really good at using picks. He uses them perfectly. And then he's really good at after that, your guy's trying to catch up to you and get back in front of you. He's just like, nope, you're going to run into my back, and I'm yep. going to shield you with my butt consistently until I'm ready to do whatever I'm going to do. A lot, Whether, a lot like Chris Paul. Yeah, oh, yeah. Does the same thing. That's the perfect comparison, really. And to have a skill like that in a 6'8 size guy to where he can, if he decides to, he can just rise up and shoot that little mid-range floater. If he wants to get to the hoop, he can. I'm interested to see this year with Rodney if he can improve a little bit as a distributor. That's okay. something we didn't really see a whole lot of last year. He was kind of not really asked to a whole lot. Kind of wasn't his role. This year, as he steps into maybe a, a bigger role with the offense, I want to see how well he can start using the gravity he creates to set up other guys. I, I completely agree. He only had 83 assists last year. I, I want to see more secondary skills overall. Both. Right. I also want to see rebounding from him. Uh, he averaged 2.3 rebounds per game, 1.7 assists per game. Even on a per 36-minute basis where that's four rebounds and 2.8 assists, that's still probably not, not what you'd good. like to see. Um, for a guy his size, he can rebound better than that. I also think he can do more kind of on the defensive end in terms of, you know, I'd say he's a solid defender at this point, but I think he can be a more disruptive defender in terms of generating steals. Only had 0.6 per game last season, um, only 0.2 blocks per game, 12 blocks overall. I think he can be, with his length, he can be a little bit better at that and, and getting the jazz the ball. Yeah, I'm very, I'm really excited to see Rodney this year. He, yeah, me, him and Gobert moved into my like most excited to see slot as soon as Exum went down. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I'm, I'm excited to. I, I would say I'm more excited for Gobert's offensive game. Like I, I just want him to shoot that floater. I'm so excited. Yeah, for that that's gonna be great. Because like half the time it misses, the rebound is his anyway. Right. That's <laughs> that's what's so cool about it, and it's just gonna look awesome. We saw kind of a finger roll from him last season. If yeah. he can get the other part and put the hand over the ball and still make it, that more euro steps. Be cool. More All euro right. steps. That's our that's our segment for Gordon Hayward, uh, Rudy Gobert, and Rodney Hood. Next up, it's going to be kind of disappointing in, in comparatively. Contrast. Yeah, we've got Grant Jarrett, Chris Johnson, and Elijah Millsap, and Jingles. We didn't do we. Oh, get and to Jingles. Jingles. Thank you. That's coming up next on the Salt City Hoop Show. Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN seven hundred. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoop Show. We've got. Two minutes each to talk about Joe Ingles, Grant Jarrett, Chris Johnson, and Elijah Millsap. I mean, we gave three to Hayward, Gobert, and, and uh, Hood, so two for each of those guys seems fair, right? Yeah, that's probably fair. All right, let's talk. Let's let's get started. Joe Ingles signed a new two-year deal this year, uh, two $2.25 million per year, two years, $4.5 million. My big question with Joe, he's a, obviously he's a good facilitator. He's kind of like the Boris Diaw of small forwards almost, and that, that's, <laughs> that's, that's kind of what... That's a comparison point. Right? It's actually not bad. Um <laughs> My question is whether or not he can become a better shooter than he was overall last season. He was right. very good in the last two year or last two months of the season. Shot over forty percent from three, uh, but overall he shot just thirty five percent from three. If he's a true knockdown shooter, that really helps. If he's bad or averageish, then he loses a ton of value on the floor. And I think he can, to be totally honest. I I put a lot of stock into those numbers late in the year because in Joe's case, early on in the year, there's something I wrote about. You could see him actively thinking way too much while he was on the floor. You could see him pausing to consider stuff and, and should I shoot this shot? Am I allowed to shoot this shot? He was like he took any opportunity to not shoot basically earlier in the year. And I think that plays a role in your psyche and I think later when he started being drilled more heavily by Quinn Snyder and, and found his own confidence, which you know, you have to remember despite being 26-27, still his first time in the biggest league in the world, you're going to get nervous. Like you're going to have jitters. It's going to take you a while to figure out what's going on there. And I think it took Joe a little while 
while. And I think now he really has the chops to potentially be a 40% knockdown three-point shooter who draws gravity while on the floor. I mean, ideally, yes. But I, I think... He shot know, like 41% over those last couple months at the end of the year last year, which I guess yeah. could be could be variant to some point. But I also just think he looked way more confident and way more like he meant to be shooting those shots. I mean, if we're going to give the Jazz defense a little bit of a negative um, because other teams were worse in in the second part of their schedule, I think that also translates to the defensive end where maybe the offense was a little bit easier. Um, Although the offense didn't improve, maybe it was easier for them to make shots in general. I don't know. It's it's a theory. Our two minutes are up with Joe Ingles. Let's talk about Grant Jarrett for two minutes somehow. Grant Jarrett... We I'll might be not honest, have to do the full two. Is probably not going to make this roster. I'd be shocked. I mean, he does have a guaranteed contract, so he's got that coming going for him. He's going to make whatever it is the eight hundred sixteen thousand dollars. No, sorry, nine hundred forty-seven thousand two hundred seventy-six dollars for next season. But quite frankly, the Jazz like other players better. You know, you'd rather give the money to Jack Cooley or to Chris Johnson or to Bryce Cotton. And Grant Jarrett just has shown nothing while he's been healthy. <laughs> Within a jazz uniform, and then sometimes he hasn't been healthy, and there's just no reason to to keep Grant Jarrett. Yeah. They have the cap space. I was really um, unimpressed with him in the way in the time that he did briefly play during the Jazz summer league before he sustained that injury. Even at that level against much weaker competition, he wasn't really showing much. He wasn't taking control of anything. No. I'm not sure that he's an NBA player, unfortunately, but he made a million bucks. So <laughs> Making a million bucks this year. like yeah. It's even better. Yeah. Um, he, I will say that he was a decent three-point shooter in the D-League, shot 39.2% from three and 53% overall. Uh, was not like a high usage guy overall, but you know, it still maybe gives you something. I can see why... Teams thought he would be useful, but I, I just don't know that he is. Yeah, I don't think it translates. All right. He's a worse Matt Bonner. Chris Johnson. Chris Johnson, I think, might translate. Yeah. Um, you know, this is his third NBA season now. Sorry, his fourth NBA season now. Uh, you know, I think he gives you something in terms of trying on defense and maybe being able to make shots on offense, I mean, three-point shots, quite frankly. Yeah, you know, I think... The, the shot is, you know, notice this is a theme. We've said it a lot. Shooting is important in the league. Like, making baskets yeah. is a pretty big deal. He's reworked his shot. Um, this is something I've spoken with some people about as well. They they really like the effort that he put into that this offseason, the effort that he's put into making his game more complete, his defense as well, so that he can be a guy who they can call on and say, listen, sometimes you're, like, barely going to play. You're going to get five, eight, ten minutes. And then sometimes... Rodney or Alec or whoever is going to be having a rough night or Ingles is hurt or whatever, you're going to need to step in and you're going to need to play real minutes and having the confidence that he can do it. And I think he's becoming that guy, and I'd be pretty surprised at this point if he didn't make the roster. Yeah, I, I would be too. I mean, I think if maybe if there were a big injury or a uh, or a guard injury where you need to get another, another yeah, wing player, maybe. Right. Uh, but I think he's... I mean, the choice really is between Chris Johnson and, and Jack Cooley to me at this point, and mm-hmm. I think Chris Johnson gives you more and has more NBA potential. Yeah, and it's, it's all about the shot, though, for me, to whether he can be more than that eventually. Agreed. Uh, shot only 29.5% from three last year, 33% in the previous two seasons. He just has to do more than that. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's, that's not two minutes on Chris Johnson. That's only a minute. But let's that's talk about okay. Elijah Millsap. I think Elijah Millsap is more fun to talk about, not only just because he's a Millsap, but because I think he's a legitimate game changer on defense. Yeah, I think he's one of the best, one of, literally one of the best perimeter defenders in the NBA, and the only reason he doesn't get talked about as such more often is because he's not quite good enough on the other end to stay on the floor for long periods right. of time. If he was playing 35 minutes a game, I think people would realize that this is a uh, maybe not quite Tony Allen, Kawhi Leonard, but like that very next tier of wing defenders. I think he's absolutely in it. 
he did play almost a thousand minutes last season, nine hundred twenty-four to be accurate. And and after the All Star break, he what did he end up playing? Twenty-four minutes a game or 18, something like no, that. Eighteen. No, it was only eighteen. Okay. Well, then how did he average nineteen point seven for the season? I have That's no idea. Incredible. I looked this up. I have no clue. The stats it's because don't make sense, it's because pre All Star break that spot in January uh, where they had where Hood was down in like December and January. Died. You know, he had yeah. to play a bunch of minutes in there. Um, you know, this is a guy who. We talk, we say it all the time with the shooting. Sometimes with some guys, shooting can be variable and can come along after a while. Even a guy who's 27 already, like Elijah Millsap. If that happens to even like an extremely small degree, like if he can become like a 33, 34% three-point shooter, something like that, and make more of his open looks... I think this is a guy that can that can play real minutes at the NBA level. I think he has to be better. I'm actually less curious about his three point shot because I, you know, it's 31. percent It was Trey Burke esque, if you will. Yeah. But uh, I think he has to be better inside the arc. Is where I'm more concerned. Where he would get to the lane and then not be able to finish. Right. Um, and he was so good at drawing fouls in the D League and just was not getting those same calls at the NBA level. I think, quite honestly, because the refs were better, I think he would kind of fool the refs in the D League um, to interpreting the contact as a defensive foul. I have a question for you. Sure. Would you Do you think you'd be giving more minutes to Millsap or Ingles? I think Millsap. I think Millsap has a legitimate game-changing skill in being able to navigate pick-and-rolls on the defensive end. I think he's great at blowing up those pick and rolls. Maybe, you know, I think better than any other player has. We also got a tweet asking about Mr. Millsap. Why yeah. can't Elijah Millsap start? This is from Jordy Wynn, by the way. Thank you, Jordy. Guards the point guards, stands in the corner just like Dante, makes him less mistake prone. The reason I think Jordy is because if you're implying that he would then play starter minutes, like play big volume minutes, that kills your offense but over you time. you can play him like a Reswell but. Butler, like 15-minute-a-game sort of starter, right? Rasul Butler, I Res- think. Is what you Raswal. Yeah, Raswal. Raswal yeah. Butler. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> I was reading, not speaking. Yeah. No, I, I think you could you could see about something like that. And by the way, those no-point guard lineups we talked about earlier, I want to see some of those with Millsap in them this year because you're right. He can definitely check point guards, no question. Um, yeah, I'm really intrigued to see what happens with him. And man, if he could just... If, yeah, you say this about so many guys, but if a, if a couple little things clicked on the offensive end... This could be a 25-minute-a-game player consistently. Yeah. I, I still like Raswal. I'm Raswal Butler. Like, if, if... I don't know. Like, that's how some of those names are said. I am I know that it's not <laughs> Raswal, I promise. Anyway, I, I agree. I think Elijah Millsap should get a lot of minutes just because he does have that defensive skill. If he can be better offensively, that would be great. He started to do better as far as getting to the lane quicker. The catch and... Or excuse me, the go and catch rather than catch and go. Yep. Quinn Snyder loves to use go and catch. He got better at that. I like him. I'm interested to see what happens. All right. That's our list of roster guys. Um, I, I think there's a lot to be excited about for next season, to be sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I And actually, that's our show. So oh. thanks, everyone, for listening. You can always listen to any of the show that you missed on iTunes, on Stitcher, on SaltCityHoops.com, on ESPN700Sports.com. Again, thank you guys so much for listening. Check us out at SaltCityHoops.com, the ESPN Troop affiliate of the Utah Jazz. This is ESPN 700.